Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. G'day. This is Better Than Yesterday. It's a podcast here to make your day-to-day better than yesterday. Uh, that's what we've been doing by having conversations with people three times a week since 2013. Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Mondays and Wednesdays, and with a guest, and Fridays, it's me and you. G'day. I'm Osha. Thanks for being here. I'm, uh, what am I currently on? There's blazing monster machines going on in the other room. Uh, so I've got the door open. So there's, if you can hear some noisy kid cartoons and some barky dogs, that's why. <laughs> Uh, and I'm happy you're here today. Wednesdays, what we do is we go back and have a listen to an episode from the past that's well worth another, well worth another crack. And today we're going to listen to an episode from 2019, which is when I met one of Australia's top lawyers, Rebecca Giles. She's currently the director of Company Giles, which is a boutique law firm that specialises in reputational risk, essentially sensitive legal disputes. But that's not why Rebecca came on the show. She came on the show because Rebecca is a survivor of the 2004 Boxing Day tsunami in the Indian Ocean. She was over there on holiday, a long way from where she was born. I was born in Paddington, actually. I was, yeah. I was a baby of the Royal Hospital for Women, which I'm now an ambassador of the Fertility and Research Clinic there. That's fantastic. Yes. And I grew up in the hills. What did your folks do at the time? When I was born, mm. oh, such a that, that's that's a whole other story. I was I was adopted as a baby, so you know I was adopted when I was six weeks old. So which folks, you know? Well, what do you know? Well, you know, my mother was a young teenage girl who got pregnant to a, a, a Malaysian guy in KL where her parents worked. And Kuala she was, Lumpur. Yeah. Yeah. And she came back to boarding school pregnant. And, you know, when her pregnancy was revealed, was promptly pulled out of school by her ear and sent to the country for the rest of her period of confinement. Old school. That happened to a friend of mine. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it was the 70s, so you can imagine, you know, all that love child stuff, you know, true, true. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, in shame and this horrible cloud. Which which part? Because my mate went to Roma in Queensland. I don't really, I think country New South Wales somewhere. And so I was adopted through a church agency to my parents who were lovely Christian people and, you know, I'm still very close with today. Did they have other kids already? Yeah, they did. They did. My parents are really amazing people and adopted lots of children and have. my mum looks after drug-addicted babies to this day. She's incredible. Wow. So how many brothers and sisters? Uh, Three sisters, two brothers, and my mother has a little baby boy, Tyrone, who's 11 months old at the moment. Tyrone. Yeah, a little red-headed Indigenous child who's Already gorgeous. Has the best Erica Badu song. Right. You better call up Tyrone. <laughs> <laughs> but 
you can't use my phone. <laughs> Such a great song. It's also hilarious that a baby's called Tyrone. It's but awesome anyway. that he's called Tyrone. I might have to put that on the list. Hang on. We've got a list. As you know, you've yeah. got kids. You've got a list and they go on and then about 12 hours later they go You're off. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a hardcore name. I think he's going to be a hardcore kid. See, the problem is we've got a pair with Ginsburg. <sighs> yeah, Tyrone Ginsburg. I don't know. And you've got to go easy on the first name to, like, yeah, I to, to, to go make Lenny. way for the power of the I second. I wanted to go Lenny, but Audrey's like, we can't call him Lenny Ginsburg. <laughs> He'll be like destined to a, a job in entertainment law. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Hi, I'm Lenny Ginsburg. Yeah, I'm not even Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> Only half. That's another long story. So your folks adopted you and... Mm. Your mom was an Australian girl? Yes. Right. Yeah, and my father's Malaysian, hence the the mixed bag you see before you. It's all right. I married, Audrey would describe, and she would not be upset with me. She always describes herself as a bitzer. <laughs> she a Chinese Fijian mom, Indian right. Samoan dad. How early on do you have a conversation with... How come everyone looks different to me? You know, I don't think we ever did have the conversation no? because I kind of knew. I mean, I'm brown and my whole family's white. And, you know, I remember running down the hallway when I was a kid and we had family, every yearly family portraits. And I used to sometimes like do a double take and like, who's the brown kid in the photo? Because I just thought I was a white kid. Mm. And then I, oh, it's me. That's right. You know, and so I was always, you know, I looked really different to my family and, you know, I always would go to the shops and the lady in the shoe shop would say to my mum, oh, yes, I can kind of see the resemblance between the two of you. And my mum and I would knowingly look at each other like, mm. what an idiot. But I always knew I was adopted. But because I grew up in um, a family where it was so open and embraced and celebrated, I never had an issue with it. Mm. Ever and um, my my auntie did it as well, and so did my grandmother, and it was just part of what my family did, and they were just wonderfully generous people. That's so lovely. Mm. Uh, that's so so lovely. I knowing my friend, he has a a relationship with both sets of parents now, mm. and it's tricky now because we're in the time of our lives being in our mid to late forties now, yeah. where decisions are starting to have to be made about you know because they're in their late seventies or eighties. Sure. And it's, it's tricky to have to do that doubly so. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Hefty. Yeah. You know, so I found out my father, he died when I was a couple of months old. Oh. Didn't even know I existed. Your birth father. Yeah. So, you know, I, I kind of, he's sort of like, I feel a bit sad for him. He just sort of died in a plane crash when I was a baby, really. So never never knew he had a daughter. and Yeah. Um, so that's sort of, that's that chapter is closed, but um, um, I'm really lucky. I have some great family that I'm blood related to who are really beautiful people. And, oh, that's great. Yeah. Oh, that's super, super lovely. Yeah, it was a big plus, an unexpected plus. Yeah. Yeah. You have this super powerful career now. Was there a point early on when you realised that you had more gas in the tank than hmm. other people you went to school with? Look, I always wanted to be a lawyer. I mean, that's so embarrassing to admit. Not at all. But I just sort of, as soon as I, I, I always, you know, I was always into arguing with my parents and I loved, you know, performing and doing all those sorts of things. And then when I went to school and I studied legal studies, I was like, oh my God, this confluence of skills and things that I love just all came together. And I was like, this is it. This is what I want to do. And I didn't have, you know, lots of role models around me. I knew one lawyer. 
and I thought he was amazing. And, you know, law wasn't as glorified as it is in media today. It was sort of maybe there was L.A. law and maybe the early days of law and order. But I knew that that's what I wanted to do. I didn't even know what that looked like. Mm. But I um, I found a friend and he was studying law. And when I was at school, I used to come along to law lectures at night and just listen and watch and look at these students. And I was, oh, wow. So you got to – so yeah. hey, just to explain the geography of the place. So the hills, which yeah. you referred to, is we're talking like – Dural. Yeah, okay. that's right. So out, way out there. We did Bachelor out there for two years in Glenory, oh, yeah. which is on the really other side. Really close, really close to where I lived. Really lovely, but semi-rural yeah. and a long Boondocks. way for a long way for a kid without a license to get to a yeah. university. Now, which university were we getting to? Un- Sydney University. So you're travelling all the way into Newtown. Yeah. Home. And I would sit in lectures at night and listen to an equity lecture and I would talk to my friend who would let me come into the lecture. With, I mean, I wonder what they were thinking. Why is this kid with a school uniform sitting in law lectures? They maybe probably thought I was Doogie Hauser, MD, but I loved it. Rebecca is one of the lucky people who understood their calling at a very young age. She had worked quite hard and in 2004, after making some big achievements in her career, decided to go on holiday to Thailand with a boyfriend. I loved my life and I had I was in a really highly sort of active and busy group and it was just go, 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 go. And I thought, yeah, I had a trial that was starting at the end of January and I thought I really need a break. So I, I organised a last-minute trip to Thailand and I was honestly from thinking of it to being there was a couple of days, you know. Right. Yeah. So you spent Christmas Day in Thailand? I did, I did. Were you alone? No, I was with my boyfriend at the time. And, you know, we had a massive Christmas dinner. I don't know if you've been to PP Island. It's a really small island. I think I have. Is that the one that you got to take a boat to get there? It's mm. kind of crescent-shaped. Yes. Yeah, I have been there. Right. And there's exquillion boats on the beach. That's exactly right. Yeah, it's really, there. really skinny in the middle. Yeah. You know, it takes mountains. ages to get out there. Yeah. yeah, and it's very, very um, shallow on the the bay side. Yes. So we went there and we had, you know, the you know the compulsory Christmas dinner that's in the resort and then everyone was, there was lots of Christmas acts and drag queens performing and the next day everyone was kind of like sleepy and hungover and it was just like a really sleepy boxing day in any, you know, in any Asian resort across the region. And yeah, and then sort of I went to the buffet and had like a lot of breakfast, like a lot of bacon. Well, you're hungover. I was. And then I went to go and have a little lie down in my bungalow on the beach and that's when it happened. What do you remember? That I was reading a magazine about like, it was something like how to make like a a white jacket work in 20 different outfits, like just combos. So, you know, I often think if that was my last moment, like that's so bad if I was reading that article. I'd rather read like some sort of beautiful philosophical book or something like that but whatever that was it I was reading I think it was like Marie Claire or something and my boyfriend came to the room and was talking to me about something and then we just heard a rumble not a scary rumble just some background noise and we just sort of like oh, it's interesting and then the next minute just the whole room around me just disintegrated like it was like a bomb what didn't like fill up and was sort of swirling around with water me. no nothing like that it was like a bomb I just had absolutely no idea what was happening to me and the next thing I knew I was just being spun in a billion different directions. I had no control over any part of my body and I, I obviously I know now that I was under the water and I was travelling at quite a rapid speed amongst a lot of debris and everything that came with that wave. 
But I was just, you know, my internal dialogue was just going crazy, like, what the hell is this? And then I kind of went through a few theories in my head as to what it could be, and then I thought, hold on. All very interesting, Rebecca, but um, oh, my chest is really hurting. I don't know what's happening. I think I could be in a bit of trouble here. And then I just had a really slow-mo, like, oh, my God, this is, could be it for me. And I just had a billion emotions, like, so angry. I'm 27. What? And I thought about my niece, who was only 18 months at the time, and I was so sad that I would never see her grow up. All these, a million different thoughts like that. And sort of just as I kind of accepted the reality of what was happening to me, not having any idea what was really what had happened to me, I was propelled out of this wave and I was, I've landed on the roof of a three or four story hotel that had sort of had withheld the, the wave. It hadn't, hadn't collapsed and had a mountain of debris that had sort of been mounting against it and I, I landed on the top of that roof. And the, still the wave was flying past me and I was just, I, I, looking around me, I just saw just black putrid sea, bubbling, fizzing sea and treetops and things like that. And I was just like, what is, is this like the end of the world? I, I, I couldn't understand what had happened. You know, now a tsunami is such a, it's in our vernacular. But back then, it was like a weird Japanese word that, you know, you'd hear in like Japanese cartoons or something. So it just never occurred to me. And then there was another huge surge of a wave and that sort of sucked me under the water for a while. And I knew I was broken to bits. I couldn't move my legs, my arm, and I could see my bone and my arm and I wasn't in any pain, but I always had this heightened state of awareness. I was obviously adrenaline was pumping through my body. And I didn't have any fight in me at all. I was just like, ah, oh, this is happening. Oh my God. And then I just sort of just went into myself and I just, your mind is so amazing that it just protects you. You know, I saw some awful things around me. There was so much death and so many terrible things. And your mind's so funny. I, my first thought, my first real thought that I can remember was like, I've lost all those silk dresses that I bought on this holiday. I'm just never going to get them clean. And just sort of thinking about, oh my God, I've got that trial. I wonder if I'm going to get an extension of time on my evidence. Just like crazy thoughts. And I see like, you know, I've got dead people around me. And I'm just thinking about silly day-to-day things and my mind's just going, it's okay, Rebecca, eyes ahead, eyes ahead, eyes ahead. I'm going to protect you from all of this. And then, of course, the waves subsided and what, you know, this beautiful idyllic island, which you know what it looks like, it's beautiful, looked like, you know, a tip that had been there for 20 years and nothing, I mean, it was just piles and piles of rubbish and just broken things and people and you know, the people part was by far the worst. You know, they it wasn't gruesome at all. It was just, you know, like the people looked like broken puppets. They were just sort of asleep everywhere. I had to kind of like go into myself just to like shut it all out because it was just really overwhelmingly, it was difficult to process. And I was rescued off the roof by some backpackers. Oh, I don't know why I call them backpackers, some Swedish guys who looked like backpackers who put me on a door and got me down and then took me to an area of safety where they were sort of stacking up all the bodies and I was there for a long, long time. And Hours? 
hours and hours. And I knew that I had internal bleeding because I was sort of really woozy and I was very, very quiet, which, you know, I talk a lot in my normal life. Yeah. So I didn't, I think I said about three words the whole day. And I could see all these open wounds and I'm not really good with blood and that sort of thing. And so I was just sort of like, oh, I can't believe this is happening. And, you know, a lot of people were really afraid and they were running to the mountains with their kids, as you understand. And and then sort of towards the end of the afternoon, a, a plane went overhead. It's funny because I said to Damien, who was my boyfriend at the time, you know, don't worry, the Australian government, will, they'll be here in like 15. How were you together? He eventually found me. He found me, he was screaming my name and I was like... Oh, what happened really? to him? He was quite badly injured in the lower half of his body and he spent some time in hospital when he came back to Australia, but um, he was very, very fortunate. That, so, the two of you were able to get it out together. Yeah. I mean, it's statistically amazing. I mean, yeah. I mean the, the number of deaths in our hotel was just staggering. What, like we hundreds? Were, oh, like 90% of the resort, yeah. you know. Thousands of people died on that island. Yeah. Thousands. And it's not a very big island. No. So Probably you, a couple you either of had, wide at most. I, I, I don't know how anybody in that middle section survived it because it was completely underwater. When you found yourself on the roof. Yeah. So this is the second roof or the same roof? Same roof. Okay. When you found yourself on the roof and the waves started to subside, do you remember hearing anything? Yeah, I do. I remember hearing some awful screaming and I remember hearing like little explosions and things. There was sort of, I don't know if there were gas bottles or something like, and I just, more than anything, I remember the smell. It just smelled so terrible. Yeah. Honestly. So really weirdly, my my work security token, so I can log in remotely, ultimately was returned to me in Sydney. And it arrived in an express, like a little, <laughs> I don't know how, because it says, please return to Minter Ellison, right? That's amazing. And it came back to my office. I think it came through DFAT perhaps, but it was caked in the mud from the island. And I opened it and that smell, oh. Our olfactory senses are oh. hardwired. Completely. So your boyfriend finds you. Yeah. And the two of you are together. Yeah. But, and like I said, I've been to this island. It is remote. Mm. It is hard to get to. Nothing comes there unless it comes by boat. And we were on a very fast boat and it took us an hour and 20 to get yeah. there. It's a long way from anywhere. Yeah, but it's so funny. You know, as an entitled, privileged Australian, I was like, eh, no worries. They'll work it out. The Australian government will come and rescue us. And then no one came. Of course, I had no idea of the scale of this disaster and that the whole world was shocked and scrambling and doing all of those things. And in fact, I really had no idea of the scale of what had happened until for months later. You know, I was in an induced coma for a long time and everything happened and all the news happened and I was just, I was completely oblivious to it all. We're back in a moment with more of the story from Rebecca Giles. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Rebecca Giles survived one of the biggest natural disasters in our history. And when we go through such events like this, huge, traumatic, life-changing events, we actually learn a lot about ourselves and we learn a lot about other people. And from Rebecca's perspective, mine as well, in those moments, that's when we get reminded that people are inherently good. They are. And we're not, you know, that whole a man is not an island, like terrible, you know, obviously the synergies with the island. But, you know... I feel like sometimes when you're like a smart professional or whatever and you, you do kind of like it's just you and the world versus the world and whatever, and that's like that's not real life. Like we are not islands and we kind of – I need people and I, I've learnt that even, you know, becoming a parent and all of those sorts of things. Like it doesn't matter how clever and smart you are and successful or whatever, like, like humanity and community and all of those things – they are vitally important and essential for happiness, you know. And when those really difficult times come, which, you know, are inevitable for everybody, that's when you know it's how important it is to be, have those people around you. That's what it is to be human, though. Yes. We can try and divorce ourselves from it as much as we like. Yeah. We can try and separate ourselves. We can try and build homes and build rooms inside those homes to separate us from each other so we uh, try to be in control of our situation. But ultimately... As people, mm. I fundamentally believe we are hardwired to connect with each other, to help each other mm. for the betterment of both of us. Absolutely. That is how we got here. Yeah. And <laughs> that's how we will continue to stay. Yeah. It, re- it, really, it really is because there's some switch inside us that flicks. When we help another person, it gives us a sense of happiness that no big screen TV can get you. Incredible. Yeah, I agree. You know? I agree. We're, we're lied to. And told, yeah. oh, no, no, the iPhone XS, the one with the biggest screen, <laughs> that'll make you happy. G, get that one, Ginsburg. Yeah. It's fun for about a week. Yeah. <laughs> no, I know. I know. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, I thought I was happy because even though I've got this big fucking phone. <laughs> <laughs> so which hospital were you at when you came back to Australia? Westmead Hospital. Right. So yeah. uh, as far as Sydney's concerned, that's, that's inland from here and it's an extraordinary facility. I've been there a bit with work. Yeah, it is. It is. And, and you know, it was, a, it was a long way from where I lived in the eastern suburbs, mm. but I got very comfortable there and I didn't want to leave. Yeah, yeah. And those people, my surgeon is one of my closest friends now. And right. The nursing staff, I know really well still. And, what, you know, what they did for me, I just can't even... Yeah. It's not even the medical stuff. It's what they did for me as a person, right? No, and this thing, I've had a bit of contact with the healthcare system, the public healthcare system over the last few weeks. And um, there was a particular person I was with and they were heading into a procedure mm. and the nurse leaned over and held this person's hand and said, we'll see you soon. <laughs> they didn't have to say that. They didn't have to touch this person's hand. I know. But they held out. Gave their hand a squeeze and said, we'll see you soon. 
It's probably against the rules to touch a patient like that as well. Uh, no, it's not. But that's what. No, it's be- it's humanity, right? Yeah, it's it compassion. Is it's compassion. There was a yeah. amazing. He's. I think he's about to retire. Professor Graham Stewart, who's the head of immunology at Westmead, used to come and see me all the time, and he used to sit down at my level and look at me at my level. And that just, you know, because I felt so vulnerable and mm. so overwhelmed by everybody peering in at me and at looking all times. at me. Oh, you would have been, a, you would have been like a, a, a sideshow piece. Look, we got one back. Yeah, Here she is. Yeah. she's got everything wrong with that was, her. I mean, they would come in with their clipboards. Twenty-seven-year-old female. Da 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 da. And then this guy used to sit there and like look at me with these beautiful blue eyes and yeah. and just connect with me. And that was the best part of my day. Yeah, you know, right? Because I can only imagine the the bacteria that you brought back with you was. Exotic, Nasty. to say the least. Nasty. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. No doubt. Yeah. Wow, that's ex- extraordinary. And from what I understand, it's a lot of surgeries, like 140 surgeries. That's a lot of GA. That's a lot. Yeah. Most of it was when I was in a coma. but Right. And that's why they induced a coma. But still, it was a lot. It was a lot. And they, my surgeon, who is you know, now a really well-known cosmetic plastic surgeon, what he did for me is just, it's like it's written up in medical journals. It's incredible. Yeah. Incredible. What's the journey? I mean, that becomes your life. Mm. This is who I am. Yeah. That's I pee and actually, poo in a pan. I can't walk. Yeah. This is me. And yeah. then after a couple of months, it's got to be like, well, what happens now? How? What does the journey look like on the other side once you start hitting those milestones? If I can sit up by myself, I can hold yeah. a spoon. Once you start hitting those milestones yeah, quicker and quicker. So that's, that, that part is actually really interesting and it's one you never really talk about because it's sort of boring in a way because you kind of get through the survival stuff. But, you know, it's – I thought I was better every week and then a month would go by and I was like, actually, last month I was not better. I was still really sick. And it just takes you a very long time, the body to recover from something like that. And I don't know, I, I, I think this is why I'm such a genuinely grateful person now is that when I was able to go to the toilet by myself, walk five metres by myself, they were like fist pump moments, like, yes, 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 I can do it. So for me, getting back to being a fully functioning lawyer again was like Mount Everest. It was like the best ever. And my firm was so good to me. They knew how much I loved being a lawyer and they would give me like fake jobs to do. Rebecca, only you could do this menial task for us. And I would just like sweat over it and do a terrible job, no doubt. But I just got, I started working again and doing small jobs and they, I came in an afternoon a week, a morning a week, two mornings a week, three, half a day, half a week. And then eventually I came back to work full time. I kept having to have surgery and things like that. But, you know, when I, went back and I could do it, I really, really loved doing it because I could do it. Hmm. And for a while there I was just staring at a wall, you know, for like months. Someone who's had a life of just extraordinary stimulus and curiosity and had to have nothing instantly except a bad television on an end of a retractable arm. Yeah, with a funny static noise. Coming out of the speaker in the thing. Yeah. Little speaker. Uh, I hate it. That would have been really tough mentally. That would have been really hard yeah. for you. But, you know, also, you know, the struggle with these big events like this is when you are suddenly have these life and death issues in your face, how do you be a normal person again? And how do you see those things and then have a conversation with someone about the weather? It's really hard to normalise yourself you know, my girlfriends would come and visit me and I used to love fashion and, like, 
clothes and silly articles like that and they would bring me that air freighted Italian Vogue and say look what we've got you and and I'd look at it and I'd think how could I possibly read Italian Vogue after what I've seen like I'd think about the hundreds of thousands of people that died and then I'm going to go and live my life by reading Italian Vogue surely I have to go and like save the world and like I found it really hard to find my place in the world and and how to like honour what had happened to me and the memory of those people who died and I didn't and all of those sorts of things and processing that sort of thing. And I had a really great psychologist who gave me some really good advice about just not making any big decisions for the first year because you wanted to. You wanted to leave and go and build 50 schools in Thailand and go and, like, work out a clean water solution in Asia and all those sorts of things. And I'm glad I didn't because I had to, like, be back comfortable in me and process what had happened to me and be okay with it, right? Mm. And so I took his advice and I went back to doing what I was doing. And when I could actually sit down and read my Italian Vogue was just bloody fantastic. Like, I was okay and I had, I was accepting of, like, the, what had happened to me and the changes to me and my health and my body and my life. And I... You know, being able to enjoy normal life was like the gift, right? Like the the golden ticket. Mm. You know, it was a long journey to get to that point. And now I'm back to my old vacuous self. Rebecca Giles is truly a remarkable person. The full conversation is well worth it. And if you find episode 312 of this podcast, you can have a listen to the full version. It's a cracking listen. I really, really hope you get into it. Uh, If this episode helped you at all, uh, consider sharing it with someone else or consider throwing a vote my way for the TV Week Gold Logie because there's a lot of people that don't realize I've had a podcast here for 10 years now with full of conversations like this. There's hundreds of conversations just like this one. And some of them help a lot of people. So if you'd like to help more people, get a lot of help, tbweeklogieawards.com.au. Um, the link's in the show notes as well. Thanks heaps for listening. Thanks to Bree Steele who produced this episode, Andy Ma for audio and video post, and Rachel Barrett, my EP. All right, I'll see you Friday. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 